Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. We're always doing well on this Tuesday. And uh, I wanted it to be a positive Tuesday. You know, Tuesday is really the only day of the week that doesn't have a feel. You know, it Tuesdays is kind of the, eh, it was a black kind of day. But it's a good day for me because I get to podcast with Seamus later in the day. So it's a good, it's got positive vibes, uh, Tuesday. But Today has been nothing but, and not because of me personally, nothing to do with my life. Mine, okay, uh, you know, with all the, what I'm about to get to, but today's episode, I did not want to talk about COVID. I really ever want to talk about COVID because it's, it's a divisive topic. And even though you're to the point where there is no holds barred, it's a real sports talk. It's still something that's so counterproductive because maybe people won't like my opinion and they won't listen to me anymore because of that. Or, you know, I encourage people to not like my takes and continue to listen because that's half of it. But we have to talk about COVID today because it's been the entire story today. I'm at work, you know, throughout the day, I'm listening uh, working and then I get, I look at my phone. Somebody, so and so's in COVID protocol. The Cleveland Browns have eight guys going COVID protocol. Last night, the Los Angeles Rams didn't play without five starters, and it continues to spiral. And not only that, but here close to home in Rexton, we have new restrictions put on where kids can't play sports anymore. Even you know older, you know fifteen to seventeen year olds, you know that. Ha- have their vaccines, can't play. So it's a frustrating day for me, to be honest. And to me, there comes a time where you just have to say, fuck it. And if you couldn't hear what he just said because of Dirk barking at the most inopportune time, it's that to me, life has to go on. We are approaching two years of COVID. Two years in February, March. It's mid-December of 2021. I think. Is it still 2021? Yeah. So I look at this and say things have to change. Eventually we have to at least find a new normal where there isn't protocol and there isn't these rules and restrictions and not tying that to the New Brunswick world, my world, because who gives a crap? I think we have to look at this at sports in a completely different way. And, you know, just as we're, I'm starting the podcast, I get a notification, Minnesota Wild versus Carolina Hurricanes postponed tonight after four Carolina Hurricanes players test positive for COVID. Obviously, want them to to be well, but Rob Brendamore even said today that the vaccines are preventing people from getting sick. So with that being said, if nobody is getting sick, if all there's only one player in the NHL that is not vaccinated, that is Tyler Bertuzzi. So that means 99.9% of your employees have taken the two jabs. Maybe some of them have the boost 
who knows? But to me, this is a time to evaluate where we are. And I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be one, but I do know time frames. And like I just said, it's two years of this. Do you remember the Ebola virus? Hardly. And to me, Ebola was a lot more destructive than COVID. Dying from Ebola looked a lot more painful than dying from COVID-19. And again, probably shouldn't have said that, but whatever. To me, the show must go on in life and in sports. Calgary postponed games yesterday. Carolina, Minnesota, no game this evening. And with four positive cases, Carolina probably won't play their next game. To me, it's quite simple. If we know, which we do in the NHL, that the entire employee, that your entire client base is vaccinated, all 32 teams, games should not be postponed. A player can't test positive. I get that. And right now the rule is, well, they got to go into quarantine. They got to get negative tests, yada, yada, yada. Well, I think those players should be able to play. And my reasoning for this is, well, what if this just keeps happening forever? People, Lamar Jackson in the NFL has gotten COVID two times. What if it's three? What if it's four? And then it's a never ending spiral of us staying in the exact same position that we're in right now. It's not adapting to our circumstances. It's not saying, you know what? Let's just open it up. The world, and maybe people have a more timid approach, but to me, doing something again and again and not having, having any change makes zero sense, zero. Because us as a people just accepting that, okay, well, there's no game tonight because there's a whole bunch of cases. Well, is there gonna be cases forever? How many booster shots is it gonna take for us not to have cases? And I look at the world of sports and my thought is, there's gonna be cases all year. Maybe there's cases next year. Maybe there's cases in 2024. Who the hell knows? But we were sold a bill of goods that if you get vaccinated, you get your boosters, you should, you should feel good. You don't feel the effects of COVID. It's not going to kill you. You should be I. Well, to me, if a player tests positive, and he feels some symptoms, and he does not want to play, then he shouldn't have to. It's like having the flu. That's his personal decision. He should not be shamed for not playing. I know some social media warriors will, but who gives a crap about them? They live in their mom's basement and eat Cheetos. But if a player such as Brad Marchand, who entered the COVID protocol today, who was scheduled to play Vegas tonight, says, you know what? I've gotten my shots, maybe as his booster, I don't know, but I want to play. I want to play this evening. He should have that opportunity. That's the only way we move forward. 
because there's going to be cases. And to me, it's just, you have to move forward. You have to, the world has to improve. And every day, all you hear is, well, there's so-and-so cases here. And this team has placed this many players on COVID protocol. And it's just ad nauseum. And I haven't cared for a long period of time. And there's a lot of people that are better people than me that probably care. But I just don't. And I'm a selfish person. I want my product. I want to watch hockey. I want to watch football with the best damn athletes on the field, on the ice, whatever the surface is. And I should have that opportunity. And the players should be able to play. Don't say, get vaccinated, you're going to be good, and you're going to get a new lease on life, so to speak, and then don't fulfill your promise. Because then it's just, well... We're vaccinated. We're doing the right things. Hockey players, they're not going out and partying like they once were. They don't live those lives. And yet now it's, okay, you're still living a boring life. You go from the rank to home, you get, you're still in COVID protocol. There's no reward. And I'm not Dr. Fauci. I'm not whoever does it here in New Brunswick. I forget her name. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember but it's, it's about moving forward. And I truly, truly think it's time that we, I mean, how many, my fear, because all I've seen in life, in the world of sports is do this, life will improve. Well, Maybe it will for a little bit of time, cases decrease, but eventually they're going to come back. So what does that mean? Okay, your life goes back to normal for a couple months, and then you get you get your you get freedoms, you get different things that were just promised in just regular normal life taken from you. Well, I don't want to live in that society. And if the argument from the opposition, which I, I'm, I know I'm in my minority here, is that, well, you're going to get people that are not vaccinated sick. Well, newsflash, the players, the people, I'm lumping this all together, people that are not vaccinated by now aren't going to get vaccinated. That's just a fact. You can't do anything about that. If they end up getting sick and God forbid they pass away, that's on them. They... Tr they made that life decision. They've had ample time to get a needle. And if they chose not to, that they made their life decision. They had their freedom. They chose their, their course. Good, good on them. But living in fear, these sports leagues canceling games, having to postpone your schedules because of COVID positives, to me does not make any sense anymore because there's no real fear. The National Hockey League has one unvaccinated player. Yes, there's more in the NFL, but why should a quarterback have to miss a game when he got vaccinated? They got both shots, they got a booster. They shouldn't have to. 
because you they did what the government, what the health officials told them to do. And they still get the shaft? To me, I thought we lived in a world where you, you do the right thing, good things are going to happen. And I, I realize this is a bigger topic, but I, I want to start the show this way because today it's just been COVID story after COVID story after, and I'm just, I'm sick of it. When it shouldn't be this big of a, like I'm concerned that the world junior is going to be shut down. I legitimately am because cases are going rampant. A Finnish a second rounder for the New York Islanders, Atu Rati, is not going to be able to come play for Finland because he tested positive. <sighs> like, he's vaccinated. Why? Why is that? And I'm sure if I had Dr. Fauci on the podcast, he would disagree with me vehemently. But I also got to say, you told us to get this. You said get the medicine. Why do we still get the rug pulled out from under us after doing what you told us to do in the first place? And it's just, it's so frustrating. And maybe that's just the way life's going to be because clearly my line of thinking is not going to come to the precipice. It's going to be fear. It's going to be timid. It's going to be this culture where... Well, let's just listen to what the government has to say. Let's just follow orders. And I'm not good at that. And I don't think a lot of people are. So when, my question is to people in a power position, and if I got an opportunity, to, I think Jennifer Russell's her name uh, for Food Brunswick, my question would be, when do we get? When is this stopped? When do the number of cases don't matter anymore? Because if they're going to continue to happen, we've been told, well, stay close bubbles. We've done that. Cases go away. No argument here. They do. But what happens after a while? You get back together, cases start coming again. You can't live in a bubble for the rest of your bleeping life. At least that's not the, that's not. And I even texted a friend today. And I hated saying this, but the states in the United States that have little to no restrictions, the U.S. as a whole seems like a better country to live in right now. And I know they're following the same mandates as the NHL uh, and the NFL when it comes to those rules. But just me personally, as a as a 23-year-old male just living life, it looks way more appetizing to live in a Florida or a Texas right now. If I'm vaccinated, I got a booster. I don't have I don't have restrictions. I can go to a football game, I can go to a hockey game, you name it. Anyway, I I didn't want to go on a rant about COVID, but I did anyway. And again, I apologize for anybody that that's really passionate about this and you, you're thinking, no, you're crazy. It's about safety. I get it. But eventually I just say, fuck safety.
because I want to live my life to its fullest extent. And for people, I think of middle-aged people where you never know how long you're going to live. You never know how you're going to be in good health. Years are being taken away from people that say you might want to travel. You want to do different things. You can't do it right now because you have to go through, you have to test here. And when you're leaving, you have to test. You have to get to the airport, wait two days and test. I mean, they're doing everything humanly possible for Canadians to not travel outside of Canada. When is that going to stop? Oh, wait, we don't know. We just got to continue to listen and follow orders and eventually we'll get back there. That's not a good plan to me. So basically follow orders and shut up. No, no. Anyway, so my life and the sports world combined. But I thought it's important to list through the names of people that were put on the COVID list today because they won't be playing for for a while. Um, Jesus. So today I mentioned Brad Marchand, COVID protocol list, not playing tonight against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. New York Islanders center Matthew Barzell, not playing this evening for his Islanders. Luke Shen on the COVID protocol list. Craig Smith in Boston. So that's two players out. Devon Tays in Colorado. Justin Barron, the uh, first round pick uh, from Nova Scotia was recalled today, likely going to make his NHL debut. Sean, uh, Noah Hannafin, Milan Lucic, Sean Monahan, also on the list. Calgary now has nine players on the COVID protocol list. Carolina had four players test positive. Game postponed tonight. Uh, and it, it's saying now that the, uh, they're going to have at least one game postponed after the Flames. Uh, so that's a 14 this year to have a game postponed. That list is going to grow. I guarantee you by tomorrow there'll be another game postponed that we'll have to talk about. And to me, there's another big discovery. I, think I, I even listening to me, if you're a fan of the podcast, I've been saying this from, from, from jump. With all this COVID news, with the uncertainty of China, with the whole Peng Shui incident with the female tennis player where they couldn't find her and then she was abducted and then she says everything's fine, but it's not really received well. The NHL is not going to the Olympics. I don't see a scenario where the NHL goes to the Olympics. And number one, it, it's because you're going to China. Number one, I would not trust the Chinese government for a second. That's just as a human interest here. But also, you know, Alex Petrangelo talked about this yesterday. I thought this was really well said. And John Taveras uh, touched on it last night for the Maple Leafs. Th these guys are both parents. And it's different for a parent to be going over there than someone like me. Single, no real, you know, other than Dirk. Uh, I have no, obviously I have my parents and you have, but there's no, crucial tie keeping me somewhere but Alex Petrangelo has four children under three and a half John Tavares at least has one kid he might have a, a second on the way well what if you go play two weeks at the Olympics great you win a gold medal but on the day you're supposed to fly home you test positive as of right now it's still uncertain you might have to stay three to five weeks in a Chinese hotel That's not happening. 
Imagine Connor McDavid. You're the Edmonton Oilers. Your season is screwed. That player, to me, his season's over. He's not going to be able to train. He's stuck in a small room. It, it's, it's a terrible situation for everybody involved. And I, if I'm a player, I'm not going. I'm not putting myself in that position. The NHL season is far more important. Winning a Stanley Cup, I know it's tough for some people to say because they're so patriotic, is way more valuable than an Olympic gold medal. To me, anyway, I get it. I'd rather Stanley Cups win more. When you when they put you in the Hall of Fame, when Drew Doughty goes in the Hall of Fame, those two Stanley Cups in LA are going to loom larger than the two Olympic gold medals that he has on his resume. To me, that that's just a fact. And I I wouldn't be going because there's no way I'm I'm risking staying three to five weeks in a Chinese hotel. When I have no symptoms, I feel fine, but you're just stuck there because you're living under, you know, that authoritarian rule. No. I don't see how they go. Because with this set of restrictions, with these set of rules, I don't know what players can say, I feel good about the situation. I'm willing to risk it. Well, you're willing to risk it. Imagine you get there the day of and you test positive. You can't play a single game in the Olympics and you're stuck there for another three to four weeks. No. So the Olympic dream to me for, for the NHL players is done for now. You got to hope 2028. And again, this is different to me because it's China. And, you know, if it was in Canada, I'd say suck it up and, you know, play because and let the players play. Even if they do test positive because you just heard my last rant. But nevertheless, you're going to China. It's a different country. You don't have, you know, you don't have your, your uh, di diplomatic relations with it. You don't, you're stuck. You're by, you're on an island. And so as the world continues to get, get completely scissor kicked, the NHL is no different because they are not going to be going to the Olympics. I'm sure players would be disappointed, but I think you got to look at the writing on the wall and say, this is not good for me. I want to win a Stanley Cup this year. And if I could possibly ruin my chances of doing that and my teams, if I end up catching the virus. So we'll see where that goes, but I cannot see the NHL going at this point. It would shock me if they went to the Olympics uh, with all the new cases popping up day after day and all that news. As we're talking about COVID here, uh, Oilers forward Ryan McLeod enters COVID-19 protocol. So that's another player that will not be, that's not playing this evening. And choose that segue to vault into a game that, that's supposed to happen tonight, at least I think. And that is the Edmonton Oilers against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this matchup is usually one that is really exciting for fans. And in a way it is, but it's not my favorite game. I remember I saw them play like eight to 10 times last year. I didn't love it. It was a lot of, I like a finesse. I like finesse hockey, but you know, I also like to see grind. I like to see, you know, hard nose hockey. And neither of these teams exactly play that style. But what you do get to see tonight is three of the you know three of the best hockey players in the world meet up. You got McDavid and Drysaddle on the Oilers. 
you get Austin Matthews on Toronto. And you look at these two teams, both of them had a great start to the season. And other than Toronto's first five game stretch where they were out to lunch, they really haven't had a dip. They've played a lot of hockey lately. They, you know, they had a, a California swing, then they had to come home, play one game, then go to Minnesota and then um, play a game there, then go to Winnipeg. Three games at home. Now they're going back out west. So they played a lot of hockey, a lot of travel. So you got to think that this team's pretty, pretty tired and they've looked tired of late. Jack Campbell's let in some ugly goals. Um, Jake Muzzin uh, is going through another tough stretch. To me, he this year, when he's playing, when it's a bad game for him, it's a 10 out of 10 bad game. He can't have a 4 out of 10. Saturday night and on Thursday, he was their worst defenseman. And Travis Dermott was on the ice. And that kid Rubens, Christian Rubens, was on the ice as well. That's... That's where it's at right now for Jake Muzzin. And it's becoming more and more clear for Toronto that Justin Hall is a bottom pair defenseman. I've thought that forever. But when Jake Muzzin is playing like Justin Hall, but worse, then Justin Hall's play is only going to decrease. So tonight, Justin Hall is on the third pair with Dermott. Tim Timothy Lilligren will play alongside Jake Muzzin. So that's a shift in the defensive uh, pairings. But to me, the more interesting story tonight is Edmonton. You've lost five in a row, including the Kraken. You lose to Carolina. And your offensive production has really slowed down. And you've been playing a lot of teams that play you tight checking. And what does that mean? Well, that's playoff-style hockey. Carolina, I believe, is the best defensive team in the NHL. Well, they gave you 23 shots on Saturday night. This is the Edmonton Oilers we're talking about with Nugent Hopkins, with McDavid. With Nurse, Dreisaitl, they gave you 23 shots. Thursday, they play the Boston Bruins. It's a 3-2 game. It's close. But again, Brad Marchand scores shorthanded. Jabraska on the power play. And no 5-5 five five goals for the Edmonton Oilers. That's, that's a problem. Minnesota dummies you. What does Minnesota do so well? They play playoff-style hockey in December. Boston's same gritty type team. And, you know, Cam Talbot was unbelievable in that game, but they capitalized on opportunities. Eric Snack, Felino, Victor Rast, they're players that muck it up, get into the corners, were the difference. And it's this streak started on a loss to the Seattle Kraken. They lost to the LA Kings in this stretch. 22 shots against LA. They haven't been playing good hockey. The goaltending hasn't been great. I don't think it's been their the sole focus of their losses. But tonight's an important game for Edmonton because you want to get some momentum, but also you're it's a litmus test. It's a hallmark game, to quote Jerry Jones, because you're playing a good Toronto team. And Edmonton and Toronto are so parallel because they both play in Canadian markets, so you know they're going to get a lot of play. And they have lofty expectations. In Edmonton and in, in Toronto, they're both expected to compete for a Stanley Cup. And I don't expect, I, I think you look at Toronto, I trust them more than I trust the Edmonton Oilers. And for that's probably hard to hear for some Leafs fans because who could trust Toronto? They're, they're allergic to prosperity. 
Well, Edmonton Oilers for a decade were a laughingstock, draft pick after draft pick, and they never got any better. Well, Edmonton's won one playoff round, you know, more than Toronto over the since the McDavid, Matthews drafts, and since the organizations have turned themselves around. But to me, Edmonton had a good regular season last year, as did Toronto. Toronto's built on that. Edmonton's hit a skid. But Toronto plays in a tougher division. Toronto has Boston, has Tampa, has Florida. Edmonton should not be competing for that top spot. They should be in first. Calgary's had a great start. I don't trust Calgary. Calgary's not a great team. Anaheim is above Edmonton. That shouldn't happen. Anaheim is a young, up-and-coming team. They played the most games in NHL this year with 30. So they, you know, Edmonton has four games in hand. But still, Anaheim with Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras and Ryan Getzlaff and just young players stepping up, they shouldn't be above you ever. To me, I look at this division. After Vegas lost a ton of talent with injuries, COVID early in the year, um, it should be Vegas and Edmonton battling it out. But Edmonton should be – they shouldn't be third in this division ever. And it's an important game tonight for the Oilers to set a standard. There, no Zach Hyman tonight for the Oilers. So he's not going to be – he's not going to play his former team tonight. He's banged up. No Ryan McLeod, as I just said. But if they win tonight, it's about how you play. How do you come up and play the Toronto Maple Leafs? Do you play running gun with them? I think that's a great idea, even though Mitch Marner is not in the lineup. But can you play a checking style? And, you know, John Tortorella said on the mothership the other day that, you know, Trevor Zegras's goal wasn't good for the game. And I vehemently disagree with him on that. He sounded like a get off my lawn old man. However, earlier in the year, he said Connor McDavid has to change his game to win a Stanley Cup, to be successful in the playoffs. And he was killed for that, too. He wasn't wrong. He was right about that. You could say the same thing on the other side of the ice. Marner and Matthews, McDavid, Dreisaitl, playing the finesse game, not being a physical player, just hoping to get through the middle of the ice in the postseason, it's not going to happen. Space is cut off. Defensemen like a Ben Sherratt, the guys that have some girth, Nate Schmidt, guys in Edmonton that Edmonton, uh, guys in Winnipeg that Edmonton lost to last year, get an advantage that they don't have in the regular season. And people can argue till they're blue in the face that you should make those calls. It doesn't matter. Why change the game? Well, okay. Argue till you're blue in the face while the teams that have those players that have that advantage are playing while you're golfing on the 11th tee in mid-May. And for both of these teams, it's about playing playoff hockey throughout the year. Like, I look at the game Saturday for Toronto. Okay, you beat Chicago, a really bad team. Kevin Lankinen couldn't stop a beach ball. That's not a good victory to me. Okay, David Camp can celebrate. Fans can say, ooh, we got another win. It's about building to the playoffs. It's about putting games on tape, on your resume that you're proud of. And you say, you know what? We had a 4-1 lead against a garbage team at home. We gave it up. 
That's not good tape. You should go in that game and win 5-1 and say, you know what, we locked it down. You know what, Jake Muzzin, we, we, we were solid. I didn't throw pizzas up the middle. Um, you know, Wayne Sims, I didn't take a stupid penalty. Just things that you can point to and say, you know, tonight was a good night for that. And I think we've seen that in strides a little bit with Toronto this year. And like I said, I give Toronto more of a pass because they're tired. They played a lot of hockey. They've done a lot of traveling. But for Edmonton in particular, because they're on the skid, you don't want to go lose six in a row. It's about, it's not going to be go down your throat tonight because it's still the regular season and it's Toronto. As much as people can laud their toughness, they're not exactly, oh, we're going to take away the middle of the ice from you. They still have Dermot. They still have their same defense core that doesn't exactly threaten you. But you look at the Oilers division, come the playoffs. I expect the Vegas Golden Knights to make the playoffs. The rest of it, I don't know. Anaheim, I think, can and will make the playoffs as a surprise team. Again, they, they're, they have 37 points. Maybe Calgary will. San Jose's in the mix. They, they've had a good start to the year. Vancouver's gotten hot. Can they find their game under Bruce Boudreaux? Maybe. Again, I doubt it. But LA, you know, they've won a few in a row. Again, I wouldn't bank on it. But you look at the possible matchups. If you don't win that division, you're going to be playing in a wild card game. If you play Vegas, they're not high flying. They're not skill out the wazoo. They are going to break you down. You look at Stone, you look at Pacioretty, you look at guys like uh, Marcheseau and Riley Smith. They play awfully similar to the Winnipeg Jets, where Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler are very talented offensive players. But they know they're going against McDavid, against Dreisaitl. You're not going to outclass them when it comes to skill. But what can you do is outwork them. What you can do is force them to make bad, make bad choices and take advantage of their weaknesses. Play that style of game where you take away the middle of the ice. Don't give them a long runway to skate with the puck. And you take your chances. And they also have a defense core with Petrangelo, Theodore, Martinez, Braden McNabb. That's big, that's mean, and it's going to make it very difficult for the Edmonton Oilers to succeed. So building towards the future is what this regular season is about. You still have to make the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. And for, for Edmonton, I think your goal should be finished first in this division because you should. For Toronto... You know, I've said this all year. I'm not going to back off this opinion. I believe the Florida Panthers are the best team in hockey. So Florida, uh, Toronto winning this division would be a big deal to me because they're not as good as Florida. Healthy, I don't believe they're as good as Tampa. But can you, can you build a game where you have a successful goalie in Jack Campbell, where Matthews and Marner are playing a style that's conducive for the playoffs? where your defense doesn't look like a bunch of, you know, house league players drunk on a Friday night. When you go and you say you get Tampa in the first round, you're at least saying, you know, what, we're giving, we're giving ourselves a puncher's chance where in past years, you know, I heard before if Toronto gets by Montreal, they go to the Stanley cup final. Okay. That's nice to hear. Well, you didn't win the series. So we don't know, but build towards, I see this is a big game for both teams. And I'd say more, more for the, the Edmonton Oilers, but also Toronto, as, as we move forward this season, 
It's putting good things on tape that you can look at and say, you know, we did this very well. And this is what's going to get us to that next level. So we'll see. Um, Anaheim Ducks, you know, I just talked to touched on them. They've been phenomenal uh, so far this season. They're a lot of fun to watch. Um, Calgary has lost four straight. Now they go into COVID protocol. So who the hell knows how that's going to go. But both teams in Alberta have hit the skids here. Um, Dallas Stars, who are a team in transition because, you know, they're in the cup final two years ago. They currently sit sixth in the central division behind three points behind Winnipeg for the fifth spot. But you got above them, Minnesota, the surprise team of the NHL, the Nashville Predators, who have just found their game. You also have St. Louis and Colorado, who are all fantastic clubs. So you got a stack top of the division. Nashville, I believe, will fall off. But Dallas is in a state of transition. And when they went to the Stanley Cup final, they had a goaltending duo of Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin. And Ben Bishop, like he always has been in his career, got injured. And, you know, he had to, he was forced to miss games and they had to turn to Anton Hudobin, who was brought over from Boston. Well, he was great. You know, he got them to the Stanley Cup final. They ultimately lost to Tampa Bay, but he had a great run. But last season and the start of this year, Anton Hudobin has looked like an elder statesman. He hasn't looked like a guy that you can trust to get you back to that place. And, you know, Hudobin was put on waivers yesterday. Ben Bishop retired last week because of injuries. So you got a team with Jake Ottinger, and Braden Holpe for the rest of the season. And, you know, I think that Hudobin is an interesting piece. I think teams, although they didn't claim him, would want him as a backup goaltender. And I, I look around and say, well, who could pick him up? I think if Anaheim wants to make a push for the playoffs, they have Anthony Stollards as their backup goalie right now. They could upgrade him, and I think Hudobin could partner with John Gibson. That would be really interesting. I think that would work. Um, you know, a team like a Buffalo who's probably not going to make the playoffs, but you want a veteran goalie in there, maybe it's a bad team that picks him up. I do think a playoff team would be interested in Anton Hudobin. Uh, potentially, you know, it's tough to say because I, I look around, but does Tampa – Brian Elliott hasn't been great, but you got Vasilevsky, so you know he's not going to play. But Tampa, it'd be tough to fit in that salary, but can you make that work? Do you trade with Dallas to, to get Anton Udobin to Tampa Bay? Um, you know, Toronto's locked up. You get uh, Florida locked up with Spencer Knight and Bobrovsky. Boston's liking to get Tuka Rask back, so that division's locked up. Pittsburgh, I thought, could be a team that would want him, but Casey DeSmith's been very good for them this year. Carolina. Carolina is interesting because Antti Ranta is always injured. He seems to get injured every year. So Hudobin would be an interesting add there. Um, only team in that division that I see with that would want him. St. Louis, uh, really who so they trust. But really the team that pops up is Colorado. And Colorado has Darcy Kemper. And when he's healthy, he's a really good goaltender. I don't know if he's good enough to get to a Stanley Cup final, but maybe that team is, but you know, their backups have been Jonas Johansson and guys that you just don't trust. 
When they when they lost Dallas in the playoffs, they were starting Michael Hutchinson in net. You need depth at that position. You need a goalie that has experience. Hudobin would be a great fit to partner with Kemper because, like, like I said, he's played a lot of playoff games. If there is an injury, you can you can point to Hudobin and say he's been in these situations at least. It's not an HL, HL goalie jumping into that position. It's it's a guy that has experience. He's been to a Stanley Cup final, and he'd be a backup goalie. Well, he's been a backup goalie his whole career, so he's accustomed to that role. It's not going to be well. Darcy Kemper feels threatened. Hudobin you know, comes in, plays, and that's that. But, you know, he's 30, 35. He's in the second year of a three-year deal worth $3.33 million per, per season. So he's making a lot of money. But um, I, I do think a team will look look to him. He's going to report to Texas right now. But I, I like Kudobin. I would, if I'm Colorado, you need a goaltender. You need a backup because Kemper's been going through COVID. He's been injured. Jonas Johansson is not the answer. Um, so it, it's time for Colorado to address the backup goalie position because they've left it pretty bare for too long. And for a team that's that talented, I do think they do need to improve the bottom of their defense score as well as I've touched on. But if, if you lose another playoff series and it's because of goaltending and can you has you have lack of depth and you don't have a good alternative in case of an injury, Joe Sackett should be fired because it's his job to put the best team on the ice. And to me, if, if he doesn't address that position this in this season and they lose because of goaltending primarily, he's not doing his job and he's missing out on too many times on this core winning Stanley cup. And as, as good a GM as he is, he should, he should move on because it doesn't matter if you don't have goaltending. It's like a quarterback. You need a quarterback to win. Um, touch, I'm going to touch on Monday Night Football for sure, but I wanted to touch on the NBA here. And tonight, it, could, it likely will be a big night uh, in New York where the Golden State Warriors are visiting the Knicks after beating Indiana last night 102-100. to And Steph Curry is two three-pointers away from breaking the all-time record held by Ray Allen. And, you know, big deal. He uh, obviously... In the draft, he thought he was going to be going to the Knicks. He said that yesterday. So to do it at Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world, it would be quite the achievement. It would be quite the night tonight, which we're all expecting. Don't expect Steph Curry to go one from one for nine from three point tonight. But over the last couple of weeks, when this record has gotten close and really over the last five, six days, what it's proven to me about Steph Curry, and it's something I've heard, I think it's true. Steph Curry is not a clutch player. Steph Curry is a lot of things. He's the greatest shooter of all time. He's changed the game maybe more than anyone else since Jordan. He, kids are playing basketball like Steph Curry. They're taking deep threes. He's, you know, there wouldn't be a Damian Lillard. There wouldn't be De'Aaron Foxes. These guys that come into the league with a great stroke if Steph Curry wasn't attempting those logo threes first. What have we seen throughout his career? We, in Golden State, they win their first title in 2015. He doesn't win the MVP. He wasn't playing that well. Who wins the MVP? It's Andre Iguodala, who started the year, started the series on the bench, inserted in game four. He starts guarding LeBron. They don't lose another game the whole series. 2016, the very next season, 
They're up 3-1 in that series. Golden State, led by Steph Curry, chokes away a 3-1 lead. Cleveland comes back to win, including winning game seven at home, where Steph Curry only had two, four points in the fourth quarter. Not good enough. So that offseason, they go and they beg Kevin Durant to come join them. And it was a good decision. They win back-to-back titles. But who won both finals MVPs? Oh, that would be Kevin Durant. And it was Kevin Durant in both game threes that made three-pointers right over LeBron James's head, who was the clutch player, who took the ball down the stretch. Steph Curry was a great player on that team, but not the alpha male, not the clutch player that you look to in those moments. And Golden State has the best record in the NBA this year. But I still look at them and say, well, can you win a title? And the reason for my skepticism is who's going to close games? When you play the Phoenix Suns and it's a tight ball game down the stretch, who is going to close? Who's going to get the ball with little time left on the clock? Because Clay Thompson's not a guy who brings the ball to the floor. He's a guy, he's a catch and shoot three point shooter. And he's one of he's the second best shooter ever, but he's not the guy that says, give me the ball. I'm going to go beat a guy one-on-one. Well, Iguodala is not doing that anymore. Draymond Green's a great defensive player. Jordan Poole is having a great season. But none of those guys are Kevin Durant, are Giannis Antetokounmpo, are LeBron James. The person that Golden State expects to be that guy on this team is Steph Curry. And I don't trust him to make that play. I trust Giannis. I trust KD. I trust LeBron. And it's, there's going to be games where you need that one guy to be the hero. And too many times he comes up smaller than his stature is. He need this season is so important to his legacy because I believe if he won a finals MVP and the Golden State Warriors won another championship, he would be put into the top 10 all time. I think it'd be really hard for him not to. I think he'd be regarded as the second best point guard to ever play the game behind the great Magic or Urban Magic Johnson. Better than Isaiah Thomas, better than you name it. He he would join that group better than John Stockton. AI. But it to me, it's about Steph Curry being the man. And he's gonna pass the record tonight at Madison Square Garden. And that'll be a great moment. I'm gonna watch that game tonight. But can you be again? It's built this season is about building to the playoffs, and you've got the best record in basketball. You've had a phenomenal start. Phoenix looks good, but Golden State is doing it without Clay Thompson, without James Wiseman, and they still look unstoppable. But the first title, it was Iguodala. The next two titles, it was Kevin Durant. Well, Iguodala is a bench player who's an elder statesman, he's going to play eight to 12, eight to 12 minutes a night. He's not an alpha male. Kevin Durant's in Brooklyn. If, if Kyrie Irving comes back, which is rumored right now, you're going to be playing Brooklyn in the NBA Finals. Well, quite frankly, I trust Kyrie Irving and I trust Kevin Durant a hell of a lot more than I trust Steph Curry with the ball in their hands at the end of the game. And I even saw an interesting poll on NBA TV last night when I, uh, I had the game on. It said, who would you trust the most to shoot a three, you know, a three late in the game? Steph Curry, Ray Allen, or Reggie Miller? 
And Steph Curry won right. the poll. I believe he had 65% of the vote, and it was 20 and then 10 for Reggie. Steph Curry would yeah. be number three for me. Number one would be Ray Allen because I seen him make maybe the most clutch shot in NBA history. And that would be in the 2013 finals against the, uh, against uh, so the 2013, yes, 2013 finals, game six against San Antonio Spurs. LeBron James, LeBrick's a three-pointer. Chris Bosh rushes, rushes to get the ball with a second left on the shot clock. Ray Allen's from three. He drills it with Kawhi Leonard in his face to tie the game. The game goes to overtime and the Heat win game six and ultimately win game seven and win their second title in a row. I seen Reggie Miller. Yes, he never won a title in his career, but he took shots late in the game on the line against guys like Jordan. You watch the Jordan doc, you talk about Reggie Miller hitting a game winner against the Chicago Bulls. There's not that moment for Steph Curry for me. Yes, there's tons of seeing Steph make uh, half-court shots and be so electric and just fire deep threes. But there's too many times where I'm just like, I need a little bit more from you right now. I need you to make a big shot. Kyrie Irving made the shot of shots against, when he was in Cleveland in 2016, you know, at a dagger three to put them up four with 20 seconds left. That ultimately won Cleveland the title. That won them. That won it for them. I haven't seen Steph Curry do that. So, I I just don't think he's a clutch player. I think he's a great player. I think he's an all time great. But I think there's all time great players in every sport that just aren't clutch. Like I don't think John Stockton or Carl Malone was a clutch player. You look at the NHL. Joe Thornton's not really a clutch player. He's been in a lot of positions to win a championship. He just hasn't done it. That doesn't change the fact that they're a star. Sidney Crosby is a clutch player. Jerome McGinley, despite not winning a title, I believe is. He made a keep on his, you know, laying on his chest makes a pass to Sidney Crosby. There's no gold moment for Crosby unless McGinley has the wherewithal, has the ability to give that player the puck. Tom Brady proved it again this weekend, throwing the, the slant pattern of Rashad Perriman in overtime. Again, just how clutch he is. Steph Curry is a lot like Aaron Rodgers. Great players. Two of the most entertaining players to watch in the history of their respective sport. But they're not clutch. They're not in the big moment. I wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers as my quarterback. I just wouldn't. In the fourth quarter, late in the game, I'd take Eli Manning over Aaron Rodgers. Because I've seen Eli Manning go on two game-winning drives in the last three minutes of a Super Bowl game. Aaron Rodgers, in the NFC Championship game last year, had had first and goal, second and goal, third and goal from the eight-yard line. He could not complete a pass. That's on his resume. So, Steph Curry, a great achievement tonight. Again, I'm going to watch that game against the Knickerbockers tonight. But looking at his career so far, he's obviously a Hall of Famer. Obviously an all-time great player. Changed the sport. But, in my opinion, 
He's not a clutch player, and I don't know if he ever will be. Some breaking news here on the podcast. I mentioned you know, last night's Monday Night Football game was, was great between the Rams and Cardinals. Um, but you know, before the game, it was, it was about, about 5 o'clock, we learned that Jalen Ramsey, I, I think the best corner in the NFL, tested positive for COVID. Tyler Higby, their starting tight end, had, was placed in COVID protocol. You had Rob, ha- Rob uh, Havenstein. You had a lot of players. You have five regulars out of the lineup. And now it's just come out that Hodel Beckham Jr. has reportedly tested positive for COVID and the team has closed their practice facility. And to me, this is going to spread. This is just like everything else. The Rams are going to have a bunch of positive tests over, the, over this next week. And to me, I... It wouldn't surprise me to see this team not play this week because and the NFL, that's their worst case scenario, but they're not going to change the tune of, well, if you test, you got COVID, you can't play. Well, the Rams play the Seahawks this weekend and you think, well, the Rams are going to win that game. They're playing the five and eight Seahawks, but as players continue to drop out, it's going to get more and more difficult for this team. And Odell is not the biggest loss. He's not Cooper Cup. That would be the biggest loss because the guy is just playing at such an elite level right now. But, you know, we've seen there's 37 cases in the NFL yesterday. You see, again, today, OBJ tests positive for COVID, so he's not going to play this weekend. It's a never-ending cycle. And it's just so, it's so disappointing that this is where we are in life. Um, I, I worry about the Rams again, the Cleveland Browns today, eight, po- eight positive cases. And it, it was some big players. Jarvis Landry is going to be out. Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Teller is out. They have two, two of their starting offensive linemen for the, uh, for the Cleveland Browns is not going to play tonight. So as I get the list here, I pull it up. Not playing this evening for the, or not playing this weekend for the Cleveland Browns. You have you know, Pro Bowl wide receiver Jarvis Landry, offensive guard Wyatt Teller, tight end Austin Hooper, starter, left tackle Jedrick Wills Jr., defensive end Tack McKinley, great player. JoJo Natson, their punt returner, is out. Uh, it, those are eight players. All eight players are vaccinated, mind you. So, again, you'd think. They should be able to play. And for the for the Browns, they play Saturday this week. It's a short week for them. So the likelihood of any of these guys coming out of COVID protocol before that game are slim to none. But maybe this is about overcoming, you know, large obstacles, even though I think these guys should be able to play. You look at the Rams last night, minus all those players that I just mentioned. You're playing the Cardinals, who had the best record in the NFL, but Matthew Stafford balled out. And I still question, does he have the clutch gene? Can he be a quarterback that leads a team to a Super Bowl? Well, he looked like he had it last night because he played the game of his life. He made some dime passes that he could never make again. Cooper, him and Cooper Cup, their connection is unstoppable. He's finding OBJ. They finally had some a connection. And OBJ's got COVID, which is so unfortunate. They played like a team. And although their offense was fantastic, 
And it, it had a lot of dynamic plays. Stafford made it incredible deep pass to Van Jefferson, then another incredible deep pass to Cooper Cup late in the game on a bootleg. That's really how they won last night. The, Michelle didn't run a ton, but he got enough for people to respect him. And the Cardinals defense was, was buying the play action. Those bootleg passes were there and Stafford was not missing. I think it was, even though when he beat the Bucks, I believe he played better last night. But what's the real, you know, I point, I go back to, yes, the Rams played well, but they only run the game by three points. But why did they win last night? It's because of that defense. It's because of turnovers. The Cardinals turned the ball over twice and they turned the ball over on, uh, on downs. The Rams had zero turnovers. And Micah Parsons is a great defensive player. TJ Watts, a great defensive player. Uh, Xavier Howard in Miami, the corner, is a really good defensive player. I could go through a list of guys. Miles Garrett is a stud in Cleveland. However, when he is on his game, there is nobody more valuable on the defensive side of the football, and maybe you could argue the NFL, than Aaron Donald. Last night, he started the game and finished the game the same way, with a sack. A sack on the first play, a sack on the last play on Kyler Murray. He couldn't uh, heave a, a Hail Mary into the end zone. He had such a three sacks, two batted passes down, including one that led to an interception. Their second drive of the game, he gets a, gets a paw on the football, intercepted. That leads to a touchdown. But the Rams get two turnovers. They lead to 14 points. That's the game. DeAndre Hopkins on a fourth down. It's a beautiful, beautiful pass for Murray. It's an easy first, and he drops it. Only his third drop in three seasons. He doesn't drop the football, but he did there. And what a swing last night had. The Cardinals entered the night 10-2, and two, the top seed in the NFL, and more importantly in this conversation, the NFC. But with a loss, they are now the third seed. Just with one loss, that's how close it is. They are 10-3 and three alongside the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and now the top-seeded Green Bay Packers. Green Bay beat Arizona uh, in week eight on a Thursday night, a, sh a shorthanded roster. This is the second time the Cardinals have lost to a team beat up, you know, a very good team, but a beat up team at home. Cardinals are undefeated on the road this year. They are three and three at home. And, you know, people have been reluctant to crown them. And this is why you have your opportunity. It's your, you're the only team playing last night. You could, you should have won that game, but you didn't. And I love watching Kyler play. He is phenomenal. His little legs moving. DeAndre Hopkins is great. AJ Green, James Conner balled out last night. He looks like he's really back to his early Pittsburgh days. But I look and I say, I trust Green Bay more than I trust Arizona. I trust Tampa Bay the most. I made that clear. I think Tampa Bay is going to win the Super Bowl again. But I also, I'm starting to trust the Rams more because the Rams, what are they, what are they haven't done for a number of weeks, play a physical brand of football. Aaron Donald said, you're going to single block me last night. I'm going to run you over. I am a man on a mission. How dare you not at least double me, let alone triple team me. You're going to have that little respect for me. I'm going to ruin your night. And I'm going to take a victory from you, yet another one at home. And the Cardinals, they got Detroit. They should win that game. But down the stretch, this is going to be interesting. 
because they have the Cowboys. And why that game is super interesting to me, they also have a tough game against the Colts, which is no gimme at home in a couple weeks. But they go, they go to the Cowboys. Uh, trying to find this game. They go to the Cowboys. Well, let's say everything stays. Let's say they beat the Lions and then they beat uh, then they beat um, the car the Colts. So you're in the same position. The the Cowboys beat the Giants and then the Cowboys beat the Washington football team again. So you're coming in. One team's going to be 12 and three. The other team's going to be 11 and four. Well, if the Cowboys win that game, they vault into that third seed. If everything stays the same, then you, all of a sudden you're the fourth seed. You have the same record as the Rams. You potentially could be a wild card team after all this. That's how these one, one loss can totally kill you in this league. You lost to the Packers on a Thursday night where Rasul Douglas, who was on your practice squad, makes an interception on a key play to A.J. Green. And I, again, sometimes it's just players making plays. And the Rams had more ballers last night than the Cardinals did, plain and simple. And we'll see where this goes. But kudos to the Rams. They proved some things. Again, it's only one game. They need to continue to build on this. But as they play – the Seahawks this week, we'll learn more and more as we get through this week, what kind of COVID issues they're going through, how it's going to impact them. But we know COVID's going to be a story. It's just a, it's a fact of life right now. I wish it, I really, really wish it wasn't. We're going to keep talking about it here on the podcast as we move forward. Uh, what kind what, what's happening in the world when it comes to COVID, unfortunately, but you know, We'll talk about the tomorrow. You know, the round table is going to happen. We're going to predict our Olympic team because as of right now, they're going. And, you know, I still want to have some fun, go through the, the list with, with Seamus, with, with Casey, and, and go through that process tomorrow night. And, but again, it's a part of our world. And I guess people, you know, I have to accept that right now because I don't see the, the government people owning, running these organizations changing their thought process just because I'm a little pissed off about these lackadaisical rules and, and just how soft, you know, we're coming off right now, but fun podcast today. Hope you guys uh, can get through that slog of the COVID talk. I'll be back in a little bit with Seamus Fillmore to talk about breaking bad uh, episodes 11 and 12 as we're getting down to the nitty gritty, almost done the show. If you can believe it, we've been talking about it for a number of months. We're almost through the end of season five here. So look forward to that. Again, uh, tomorrow, Casey Ward, Seamus Fillmore, I believe uh, Sorhan and myself will be on the roundtable talking, predicting the Canes Olympic team. And then Thursday, another roundtable with um, Jason Bennett and Creighton Fillmore Sunpass, where we rank our top five places to go watch a sporting event. So that'll come Thursday as well. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate the support. Uh, have a great day.